Good morning. Good morning. As I've already mentioned to you all before, I grew up in church, right? I was raised in church from birth. And now that's not to say that I always wanted to go to church, as you all know. Sometimes my parents had to drag me to church. And I will say, you know, I'm a little proud sometimes. Well, maybe I shouldn't be proud of this. Uh, But as a child, there were a few occasions in which I would fake being sick, right? You know, have you ever done that? And a few times it worked, just a few times. Anyway, so my point is, you know, I was raised in church, but that did not mean that I always wanted to go to church. Now, it wasn't that I didn't want to go to church because of church itself. It's because of what I was supposed to wear to go to church, right? You know, my mom, you know, told me you have to wear pants. You have to have a button-down shirt tucked in. You have to wear a belt. I always hated wearing belts. I don't know. Now I wear belts a lot of the time, but I always hated wearing belts then. And so it wasn't really about going to church as much as it was about what I had to wear. You know, I've heard from many people in church, the reason is, oh, you have to give your best to God, you know, so that's why you wear your best clothes. And then in my mind, when I kept hearing people say this, like, well, why don't you do that for potluck, right? And so, you know, they didn't, they didn't listen to me. And anyway, but my point is, while I, while I was raised in church, while I grew up in church, it's not that I had faith all my life. It's not that I believed all my life. Eventually, I had to own it. I had to proclaim it myself. And I know that some of you in here probably didn't grow up in church. And I understand there's some apprehension to identify yourself as somebody who did not grow up in church. I mean, I've met a few people who they almost thought of it as a weakness, not growing up in church. But what if I told you that a pillar of the faith did not grow up going to church? What if I told you that Father Abraham, formerly Abram, he did not grow up going to church? Right? We sing the songs, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. But we don't see Father, seeing Father Abraham, he was a pagan, and Father Abraham worshipped idols. We don't sing about that, right? We, we focus on the, the good part. We focus on after the fact, oh, what God did and how God blessed Abraham. But the fact is, Abraham was a pagan. He worshipped idols. A pillar of the faith did not grow up. In church, Joshua 24, verse 2 says this. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Abraham was a pagan. He worshipped false idols. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 6 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Go, go away from your, your pagan father's house. Leave everything. Verse 2, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham, he's called to leave everything. He's called to leave his pagan family. He's called to leave his property, everything. Now imagine that. Imagine if God called you to just leave everything. Called to leave family. Called to leave property. Now, this wasn't exactly saying too much for them. They weren't exactly rich. They were childless. But they were still called to leave everything they knew for most of their life. Can you imagine if God called you to leave everything? Everything, I know a lot of you grew up here. You, you've been in this town for most of your life. Imagine if God called you to just leave. And so for some reason, he got, God chooses Abraham. 
They did not really merit choosing. They were not the richest. They were childless. They just really weren't that impressive. I mean, God had other choices. He had other choices. Why not Egypt? Why not Canaan? Take a look at Genesis 10. Genesis 10, verses 1 through 6. Or rather, we'll just read verse 6. Genesis 10, verse 6. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Now Ham, he was a son of Noah, right? And Ham, he has sons, most notably Egypt and Canaan. As in, this is where we get the, the nations, the countries of Egypt and Canaan, and they become powerful nations, Egypt being the most powerful at the time. And so God, he had other options. And yet God chose Abraham, whose family was not a nation, and whose family was certainly not powerful. That being said, Abraham, he does show a little promise. Genesis 12, verses 4 through 9. Genesis 12, verses 4 through 9 says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar for the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pinched his tit with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So Abraham, he shows some promise. Right? He went from being an idol worshiper to a worshiper of God wherever he went. This is one of the core aspects of being a follower of God. It is worshiping God wherever you go and worshiping God in all aspects of your life. See, as we know, there's a lot of people who try to tie worship just to a building, right? I get it. You know, I grew up and that, that's kind of how I thought of worship, how I thought of worship of God. And so many people did that. They thought of church as just occurring here. They thought of worship as just occurring in a building. But quite frankly, worship has more to do with just being in church. There are six other days in the week. Worship has more to do with your everyday life than it does just showing up here in church. And we kind of see this issue with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, right? The Samaritan woman, she's concerned about where's the proper place of worship. Is it, is it in Jerusalem or is it here on this mountain? And Jesus says, well, there's going to come a day where true worshipers will not worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain, but true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, we're not going to get into all of what that means, but one of the main points is that worship is not about a place. Worship is about a people. One of the main people, or rather the main person at the center of worship is God, and of course we as the worshipers of God. See, we're to worship God in all aspects of our life. Worship is not confined in these doors. Now, while Abraham showed some promise, he did stumble in Genesis 12, verses 10 through 16. 12, verses 10 through 16. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. 
When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister. Now that was half true as he, she's her, his half sister. So, but that's aside the point. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to the Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with Abram well. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So here we see Abram, he does not fully trust God. Yes, he showed some promise. Yes, he was worshiping God wherever he went, but we see he lacks in trust. And what happened because he lacked trust? Guess what? He hurt Sarah. I assume we've all been in a kind of a situation like this when we don't trust God. A lot of the times we end up hurting others. Why? Because when we don't trust God, we try to do everything and anything in our power to protect ourselves. Now, you may lack trust. But God, he has given you a reason to trust him, and he will give you a reason to trust him, as he does with Abraham here in verses 17 through 20. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why, why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave the men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. See, in spite of Abraham's lack of trust, God gave him a reason to trust him. God protected and he provided, most notably, he protected Sarah in spite of Abraham's foolishness. You know, I know this is easy for me to say. I know it's easy for me to look at this text and say, look, you can trust God. That's easy for me to say. But I also know a lot of you have been hurt. A lot of you have been abused. A lot of you have been betrayed. A lot of you have suffered major loss. And some of you maybe, may, maybe feel betrayed by God. You may not see any reason to trust God. Last week, uh, Johnny Johnson, he showed me a video that kind of addresses this issue. That proposed the question, why would God allow this to happen? Fill in the blank. Why would God allow this to happen? And the answer was also a question, well, where does it end? See, imagine if God controlled everyone. Imagine if God controlled everybody's action and stopped them from ever making a mistake, ever committing a sin. What does that violate? That violates free will and that violates love. See, controlling a person's every action isn't love. In fact, uh, somebody completely controlled by another is no longer a person but a machine. And what do we do with machines? We use them. We make them do exactly what we want. We do not love machines. So yes, I know a lot of you have suffered. But please don't lose your trust in God. And if you do, as with Abraham, God gave him a reason to trust him. See, Abraham, he not only displays a lack of weakness in his trust, or rather his lack of trust, Remember, they're old, they are childless, which is saying a lot in this time to, to be older, you know, that, that's hard, they can't do as much, that's why they need children to do the work, to labor, but they don't have any children, their future is, is just squashed, there is no future for them. But of course, in Genesis 15, 
verses 1 through 6, we see God reaffirm this promise he made to Abraham. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the air of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, as context, God has made this promise and reaffirmed this promise on more than one occasion. See, the first time God makes this promise, it's over a decade previously before this happens. He affirms it over and over and over again, and it's taken so long. I can imagine Abraham's probably losing a little bit of patience. I can imagine a lot of you, you've, you've heard the promises of God, and yet it's been so long since you've heard those promises. Why aren't they fulfilled? Such as sanctification. We're all promised to be sanctified by the Spirit. But sometimes I, th- sometimes I think we expect the wrong thing. We expect immediate perfection. We expect to be made completely whole. But that's not the promise that's exactly made. We're promised to be sanctified and we will be sanctified, but complete perfection is to come. You see, not all of God's promises uh, have immediate fulfillment. It might take time. And so it takes time with Abraham's promise and God, he reaffirms his promise in chapter 17 and 18. And now, because I really love this passage, let's read 18 verses 9 through 15. Genesis 18 verses 9 through 15, the text says, They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. I love this passage for many reasons. This kind of reflects, you know, conversations you have in marriage, right? Maybe you mumble something under your breath and your spouse is like, wait, what did you just say? Or, or maybe you laugh at something your spouse said and, you're, and, you know, they're like, wait, are you laughing at me? You know? Anyway, so it's just, I, I love this passage because I think of so many conversations we have. Anyway, but that's aside the point, right? The, the promise is yet again affirmed for, I don't know how many times, so many times, right? Several times over it is affirmed and yet it is yet to be fulfilled, But, of course, we see it fulfilled in Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh 
over me. And she said, Who would have said that to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I want you all to notice something about everything we've read so far. There are a lot of what one could say weaknesses that Abraham displays. He was a pagan. He worshipped false idols. He wasn't really rich. They were childless. And yet God chose them. God chose somebody who didn't have it all together. See, these weaknesses, they could have been considered as reasons why God should not have chosen them, and yet God chose them anyway. So if you don't get anything from this sermon, get this. God does not, uh, he does not call perfect people, but he perfects people he calls. God is not waiting for you to have everything together. I remember when I was going to be baptized. Uh, it was February 29, 2012. So, you know, the joke is I'm only five years old as a Christian, but Anyway, I was baptized then, and I remember leading up to then, I, I thought to myself, and I had these, these wrong intentions of, oh, I've got to be good before I'm baptized. I've got to get everything together. I have, to, I have to stop doing these mistakes. I have to be perfect. But that's not the call. God is not waiting for you to be perfect. God calls you as you are. And so if you've yet to answer this call, if you're a person who doesn't have it all together, which is all of us, you have an opportunity now to answer that call as we stand and sing.